Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a legal podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin, and for this latest episode of Sneak Peek, I'm joined by a very special guest host, Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. He's got some big shoes to fill, filling in for Kimberly this week, but I think he's up for it. What do you say, Greg? I'm going to do my best. All right, let's do let's it. see. The last argument session of the term starts on Monday, April 15th, and this week we have a diverse set of six cases, including ones on securities, taxes, and violent crime. But to kick off the sitting on Monday morning, things are going to get a little scandalous and possibly even immoral. Greg, what kind of scandal do you think we're in for in this first case, Yanku against Brunetti? Jordan, this is the uh, case the court has every few years where everybody wonders whether there's going to be a bad word said in court. Yeah. Um, it probably won't happen. Okay. Um, and there's not going to be a bad word said on this podcast, if I can avoid it. Um, <laughs> this case is about, uh, starts with a guy who's got a line of clothing, and the name of the clothing I'll spell out for you, sure. and, and listeners can imagine how, how it would be pronounced. It's F U C. And he tried to register that trademark with the federal government, which means that you get some special special legal protections. Right. And the federal government said, nope, we're not going to register it because it is scandalous. There's a provision in the, the federal trademark law that says um, if it's scandalous or immoral, uh, we won't give you uh, federal status, uh, let you register it and put it on the federal registry. Um, so the Supreme Court's going to decide whether that is a violation of the First Amendment. It's a case that that seems a lot like one they had a couple years ago right. in, in dealing with, with what are known as disparaging trademarks. That was a case involving an Asian band called The Slant. Right, the right. Supreme Court in that case said that is unconstitutional. And the question is whether scandalous uh, trademarks uh, are any different than disparaging trademarks. All right. So that'll be an interesting one to look out for. And then the second case of that morning on Monday is Emulex Corp against Varabedian. And the justices in that one will be taking on a securities case. And so the question there is, how much proof do plaintiffs need to show in securities lawsuits for misstatements or omissions in connection with tender offers? The question is, do they need to show negligence or do they need to actually show some kind of intent? And what happened in this case is a group of former former Emulex shareholders, they sued that company and others saying that they were misled by not having all the information they needed to evaluate the stock price. And so there's a circuit split on this intent issue, which for the securities people, that's dealing with Section 14E of the Exchange Act. And so the justices can clear up that split here, which is an important one to watch for for those who follow the securities cases. And so that'll be it for Monday. And then on Tuesday, the first one up is Parker Drilling Management Services against Newton. And the issue there is whether state wage and hour law applies on offshore drilling rigs. And that one involves something called the Outer Continental Shelf Lands Act. And under that act, the laws of what's called the adjacent state apply as long as they're not inconsistent with federal law. And so Newton worked on a drilling platform a few miles off of the Santa Barbara coast. He brought a wage and hour suit in California state court, but the company removed that case to federal court and he lost there under the federal 
Fair Labor Standard, Standards Act, which is less worker-friendly than the state law. So the justices there have to figure out what the appeals court called the novel question of whether state or federal law wins out in that situation. And then the second case on Tuesday is North Carolina Department of Revenue against Kastner Family Trust. Uh, what's going on in that one, Greg? Yeah, so we go from hourly wages to multi-million dollar trust. Right. This is a, a, a case where um, th- there's a trust that was uh, set up, and the trustee lives in Connecticut, and North Carolina is trying to, to tax the trust. And the reason they say we can do that is because the beneficiary of the trust and her children live in North Carolina. And so this is a, a case about the due process clause, whether uh, that trust has enough of a contact with North Carolina to let the state tax it. And uh, the, the key precedents are going to include that big case the court had uh, last year involving internet sales taxes, mm. the, the Wayfair case. And uh, that also dealt with similar questions about whether uh, somebody had, in that case, a uh, business had enough of a contact with the state that the state could require it to collect sales taxes from uh, people who buy online. This time, the court's going to uh, consider that in the context of trusts. All right, so there's some, some big money at stake in uh, in that case, I'm guessing. Um, it is, yes. Uh, $1.3 million, which right. is roughly what we get paid per podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. You weren't supposed to talk about that. We'll talk about that again <laughs> after. You, all right, yeah, all right. This is still a test run, so, but... You're on the way. Um, okay. And so finishing off the week, we're going to we're gonna finish off with some crime on Wednesday. And that one is U.S. against Davis is the first argument in the morning. And that's the latest line, uh, the latest case in a line of cases where the court has to analyze so-called crimes of violence. And so in Davis, a federal appeals court struck down part of a law that's used to prosecute gun crimes, saying the law is too vague. And that law is 924C3B for all the criminal law nerds out there. Uh, The government appealed that loss in the appeals court, saying the law is a critical one for keeping violent criminals off the street, and that there's actually a different way to interpret the law that doesn't lead to striking it down. And the government needs to offer that different interpretation here because the law has basically the same language as one that the court struck down last term in a case called DiMaia. And for listeners, that was that big immigration case last term that split five to four with Gorsuch joining the more liberal justices. But the result might not necessarily be the same this time, even though the language is similar. And that's because Gorsuch wrote a separate concurrence in that DeMaia case that expressed some different views from the rest of the majority. So we'll be looking at the argument to see if Gorsuch's questions and obviously the rest of the court, how their questioning is and whether that gives us any clues to whether we're going to see a a repeat of these other laws that have gotten struck down on vagueness grounds. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. That was a really intriguing pairing to have Gorsuch join the liberals in that DeMaia case. Yeah, so we'll see if it's a different situation this time, given, you know, among other things, the government sort of warning that there's going to be all sorts of chaos if the Supreme Court winds up upholding uh, the striking down of this law. So we'll be watching that one closely. And then the last argument of the week is McDonough against Smith. It's not a criminal case exactly, but it started with one. And the question in that last case is whether the statute of limitations for a Section 1983 civil claim based on fabrication of evidence in a criminal case either starts to run when the case ends ends in a defendant's favor or whether it begins to run when the defendant becomes aware of the tainted evidence and its improper use. And so in this case, the defendant sued within the statute of limitations so long as it started to run uh, after he was acquitted. But the Second Circuit
Hackett said that he needed to bring his suit when he learned about the alleged violation against him. So that's yet another uh, circuit split that the Supreme Court will have in front of it this week that it can clear up for the lower courts. And that is the first week of the April sitting. Uh, And be sure to tune in next week for our sneak peek of the last week of arguments this term, including the highly anticipated census case. And in the meantime, you can check out the latest at news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks again to Greg Storr, our very special guest host, for joining us. And thanks for listening. And thanks for having me, Jordan. This was fun. I hope uh, Kimberly is absent more often. (laughs) We'll see. She's got to watch out. Or I need to watch out, and they're just going to swap me out. We'll see. Yeah, that that would work, too. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening.